We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And away we go. Episode 80 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. It is you. It is me. It is the cicadas. When are the cicadas going away? They are everywhere. They don't shut up, and they are everywhere. Now, we do know that they die quickly. Their carcasses are all over the place. They aren't durable. The cicadas are the Steven Strasbergs of insects. And something else about the cicadas, they make some sound when they hit your windshield, don't they? Like everyone knows about the noise that the cicadas make on their own. But that splat when a cicada hits your windshield, that's something else, man. But the cicadas, they like bounce off the windshield. They don't stick to the windshield. They just ricochet off your windshield. How many splats have you had over the last few weeks? I feel like I've had about a thousand splats over the last few weeks. Well, hello and welcome to another installment of the only DC area sports podcast that comes out every weekday, Monday through Friday, and is out by 5 a.m. each weekday. The Washington football team's 2021 mandatory minicamp began on Tuesday when it essentially was Chase Young Day. He was there. He spoke via Zoom press conference. He said a lot. Ron Rivera spoke via Zoom press conference. He talked about Chase. So we will talk about Chase, a lot about Chase, beginning next segment, including what he had to say about skipping OTA practices. But we're not just going to focus on that. I also want to get into the truth about Chase's rookie season and into what is next for Chase. A Chase Young deep dive, if you will, is forthcoming. A deep dive on the man known as the Predator. 
I'll discuss a number of other items from day one of Washington's minicamp, including Ron, Don Ron, talking Taylor Heineke, and also Steven Montez speaking. I'll talk Nationals and Orioles on the show as well. The Nationals cannot score to save their lives. A 3-1 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night. The Orioles, though, are all of a sudden the 27 Yankees. 10-3 win over the New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night. The O's now have scored 28 runs over the team's last two games. And incredibly, the Nats have just two more wins than the O's have. The Nats are 24-33. and The O's are 22-38. and Now, the Nats do have five fewer losses than the O's have. The Nats do have an appreciably better winning percentage than the O's have, 421 versus 367. But the number of games ultimately will even out. Is it possible, dare I even say this out loud, that the Orioles finish with a better record than the Nationals? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but the fact that we can even say that and not be entirely dismissed says a whole lot about the season that the Nats are having so far. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Rich on the name situation, which came up on Monday's installment of the podcast. I relate to you the story of me being asked what I thought the permanent name of the Washington football team will end up being. My answer was Warriors. You know where I stand on Washington football team. I'm fine with that as a placeholder. I do not want that as the permanent name. That's not a name. And one of my problems with Washington football team as a permanent name is that that would mean us having to permanently call the team Washington because nobody's saying football team and calling the team Washington is an awkward and onerous way of referring to the team. Washington is three syllables. Washington. That's too many syllables, and you can't shorten Washington. Anyway, Rich tweeted me, Warriors equals three syllables. Yeah, you're right about that, Rich. I never said that I'm in favor of Warriors. I just said that I think Washington, as a team, has been in favor of of warriors. But yes, that is a problem with warriors. It is warriors, and you can't shorten that. That's true. Uh, but I would prefer Washington Warriors over Washington football team. The word warrior is a cool word. The, the thing with warriors is there's already a warriors. We have the Golden State Warriors, so it would not be unique to our football team. I don't hate warriors, but I just think we can do better than warriors. Tweet from Tom Mirabella. I don't understand all the talk that Brandon Sheriff, who is a guard, (laughs) will be gone if he doesn't sign an extension. Is there anything that prevents WFT from re-signing him as an unrestricted free agent? Is some other team going to pay him $18 million a year? Uh, No, Tom. I mean, there's nothing preventing Washington from re-signing Sheriff as an unrestricted free agent after the 2021 season. It just, to me, becomes a lot less likely that he resigns with Washington should he reach unrestricted free agency after the 2021 season. Because once a guy becomes an unrestricted free agent and hits the open market, the likelihood of you resigning the guy always goes down because you no longer have negotiating exclusivity. It's one thing when it's just you negotiating with the player, but when it's you and 31 other NFL teams potentially negotiating with the player, well, the likelihood of that guy re-signing with you goes down. 
The problems with Washington franchise tagging share for a second consecutive year begin with the franchise tagging disincentivizing him from agreeing on a long-term deal because signing the franchise tag tender guaranteed him $18.036 million for the upcoming season and sets him up to have made $33.066 million over the 2020 and 2021 seasons. And because Sheriff has been disincentivized from agreeing on a long-term deal, the likelihood of him becoming an unrestricted free agent after the 2021 season has gone up. Thus, the likelihood of him leaving Washington after the 2021 season has gone up. This is the Kirk Cousins saga all over again. This is the Kirk Cousins cha-cha-cha all over again. And yes, Tom, Sheriff is a guard. And the other one's a guard. Yes, Jay, you nailed it. The sheriff situation is the one thing about this Washington football team offseason that I really don't like. I wanted no part of Sheriff playing for Washington under the terms of a second consecutive franchise tag tender. I wanted Washington this offseason to either sign Sheriff to a long-term deal or tag him and trade him. And look, Washington still could sign Sheriff to a long-term deal. The deadline by which to do so is July 15th, but you are hearing nothing in terms of momentum toward Washington signing Sheriff to a long-term deal. Now, maybe that changes, okay? Deadlines make deals, and we're not yet at the deadline for the deal. But I just don't see Sheriff signing a long-term deal. I think he wants to hit unrestricted free agency. If only the Washington football team had John Grandland handling this Sheriff situation. Yes, my guy, John G., an OG of commission flex. John Grandland of Real Broker. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, even if you're just thinking about selling your home, contact my guy, John Grandland, aka John G. We talk all the time about Ron Rivera and his position flex. John Grandland offers commission flex. You see, not every home requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees. It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. That doesn't make sense. Let John put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from. Again, commission flex. And among those commission options is selling your home for free. Yes, you heard that right. For free, some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly, and there is never any obligation to list or sell. Do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin to sell your home guaranteed. That's right, guaranteed. He guarantees the sale of your home. Call John G at 703-537-6747. Make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure you say, I want what I heard about on the Al Galdi podcast, The Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandland, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the master of commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. 
So Tuesday was day one of the Washington football team's 2021 mandatory minicamp. There was a practice and then there were Zoom press conferences, a whole lot of Zoom press conferences, the two most notable ones, those for Ron Rivera and Chase Young. Yes, Chase Young spoke. I wondered about this on Tuesday's installment of the podcast and sure enough, Chase did speak on Tuesday. He, as you know by now, was, as best as we can tell, the lone consistent no-show through all of Washington's OTA practices. Some guys miss some of the OTA practices here and there, but again, as best as we can tell, only Chase Young no-showed all of the OTA practices, which, yes, wait for it, are voluntary. Chase Young on Tuesday on why he no-showed the OTA practices. I've been in and out phase one and two. Um, you know, this offseason, I have a, you know, a lot of stuff going on. I did five different shoots um, for, uh, um, for for five different things. Um, so I just been having a lot going on, and uh, you know I've communicated with my coaches, and uh, you know I'm uh, I'm ready to rock. I came out today, uh, was was playing fast, so I feel good. So uh, you know the biggest thing was just communicating with Coach uh, Ron and uh, Del Rio, and uh, as long as I'm locked in with them, they 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 they, they know I'm working. All right, so you heard Chase Young begin his response by saying that he had been in and out during phases one and two of the offseason program. Just to explain that, there are three phases of an NFL team's offseason program. Phases one and two include team workouts and meetings. Phase three includes the OTA practices. So Chase said that it wasn't like he no-showed the entirety of the offseason program, just the OTA practices. More on why. I, uh, I had an Under Armour shoot uh, that's, that's going to be coming out. That's pretty big. Uh, had a, a shoot with eBay um, for watches. I did Family Feud as well. Um, so yeah, that's just three things that I did this offseason. All right, so to recap, Chase Young said that he had, quote, five different shoots for five different things, end quote, including shoots for Under Armour and eBay and doing Family Feud. Young also said that he had, quote, a lot going on, end quote. So, yes, Chase Young now is a big macher, all right? He's, he's like Ron Burgundy. I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Yeah, people know me. I'm kind of a big deal. Five different shoots for five different things. I've had a lot going on. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Yeah, exactly. Look, I'm just having some fun with this, okay? As I have said, I am not mad at Chase Young for skipping the OTA practices. I do not think that Chase Young skipping the OTA practices will have any impact on his play in the 2021 season. I'm just disappointed that Chase Young skipped the OTA practices. They ended up taking place over just two weeks. This was not some big ask. He became a captain late last season. We're in the midst of this culture overhaul. You had nearly 90 players who did attend the OTA practices. Would it have killed Chase Young to attend them? Could he not have gotten some reschedulings of his five different shoots for five different things? I mean, after all, if you're kind of a big deal, you can get your five different shoots for five different things rescheduled, can't you? I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, come on. He's kind of a big deal. But Chase on Tuesday also said that he has been working out hard, and there's no reason to doubt that. He's in tremendous shape. Uh, He also said that he's been in communication with Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. In fact, here was Ron on Tuesday on how Chase looked in Washington's first minicamp practice. He looked good. He really did. He came out and uh, practiced with a lot of energy. He was flying around, um, and I had to reintroduce him to a lot of people, but uh, it's good to have Chase out there. Ah, so Ron saying that he had to reintroduce Chase 
to a lot of people. A bit of a dig, a bit of a jab from Ron toward Chase, however playful. But Ron later in his post-practice Zoom press conference did say the following. It wasn't as if Chase wasn't working out. It wasn't as if Chase didn't stop in every now and then and work out with the fellas. So that, that's one thing. And, and I know he's in constant contact with his, his coaches and his teammates. I mean, he, he's he, he's got things that he's doing. I understand that. I respect that. And that's the big thing that we try to make sure everybody understands. It, it is voluntary. I mean, we'd love to have you here, but it is voluntary. And, and each guy has to take care of themselves and do their things the right way. So, you know, with Chase, it's it's one of those things. He had, he had a full plate a couple of times, and we just couldn't get him out of there. So, that's ball. But, uh, you know, the mandatory thing here, he's here. He's doing the things that he needs to do. He's in great shape. He's working hard. His teammates respect that and appreciate that. Yeah. So do I believe that there are problems between Ron Rivera and Chase Young over Chase no showing the OTA practices? No. I do, though, believe that Ron, like me, and I know many of you, is disappointed that Chase didn't attend. Chase on Tuesday on how it feels that his coaches seemingly aren't holding anything against him for no showing the OTA practices. It feels good. I love my coaches, uh, and my coaches know I'm, I'm going to work. You know, they know I'm not going to go and just, you know, lay down and relax, you know, and be lazy. So, um, you know, I'm a worker, um, and, and coach know that. So, you know, I'm going to come ready. You know, in talking about this whole Chase Young thing, I do think it's worth noting this. When you have superstars, you do have situations like five different shoots for five different things. In other words, this is a price for having a superstar. And maybe calling Chase Young a superstar is premature, but he's certainly tracking toward being a superstar if he's not a superstar already. Washington has had so few superstars, so few true A players over the last 20 years that it's almost like we've forgotten what it's like to have a superstar. So maybe, just maybe, Chase Young no-showing the OTA practices can be spun as being a good thing because it's due to him being a big deal. And Washington has had so few big deals over the last two decades. I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, although I still wish that he would have attended the OTA practices. All right, what about Chase Young's rookie season? Let's make this clear. His rookie season was outstanding. No, he did not play great in the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in a wild card round. Okay, fine. He's not perfect. But the truth is that Chase Young had a terrific 2020 rookie season. Young on February 6th won Associated Press Defensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season. Young finished his 2020 rookie regular season with the following numbers. Seven and a half sacks, number two on the team. Four forced fumbles, number one on the team. Three fumble recoveries, number one on the team. Four pass defenses, tied for number four on the team. 11 tackles for loss or no gain against the run for Pro Football Focus. Number one among all NFL rookies. An overall grade for Pro Football Focus of 87.2. Number six among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. And get this, an overall grade for Pro Football Focus on red zone snaps of 90. 3.3, number one among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. Young was named both NFC Defensive Player of the Month and NFL Defensive Rookie of the Month for December 2020. He became the first Washington player to win NFC Defensive Player of the Month since London Fletcher did so for December 2012 and the first rookie in franchise history to win Defensive Player of the Month. Young had what I called the Chase Young game in December. 
the 23-15 win over the San Francisco 49ers in Arizona. One of the greatest individual performances in Washington history. A 47-yard fumble return for a touchdown, a forced fumble, a sack, two quarterback hits, and two pass defenses. Chase Young dominated that Washington win over the 49ers last season. But the true impact of Chase Young on Washington in the 2020 regular season was the extent to which the defense improved overall. Young did for Washington in the 2020 season what Nick Bosa did for the 49ers in the 2019 season. Served as a rookie edge rusher out of Ohio State, no less, who elevated an entire defense to greatness. It's amazing the parallels here, right? Bosa, rookie edge rusher out of Ohio State, elevated the Niners big time in 2019. Young, rookie edge rusher out of Ohio State, elevated Washington big time in 2020. Young in the 2020 regular season played on 73.68% of Washington's defensive snaps. Washington's defensive rankings for the 2020 regular season, so much better than what was on display from Washington defensively in the 2019 regular season. Total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric from 27th in the NFL in 2019 to 3rd in 2020. Pass defense per DVOA from 27th in the NFL in 2019 to 2nd in 2020. Run defense per DVOA from 24th in the NFL in 2019 to 11th in 2020. And a lot of talk about how Washington's run defense wasn't that good. It was 11th in the NFL last season. Points allowed per game. Washington 27th in the NFL in 2019, 4th in 2020. Third down defense. Washington dead last in the NFL in 2019, 6th in 2020. Opponents yards per play. Washington 21st in the NFL in 2019, 2nd in 2020. Red zone defense. Washington 24th in the NFL in 2019, 4th in 2020. Washington demonstrated across-the-board improvement defensively last season. Chase Young was one of the biggest reasons why. Chase Young on Tuesday on his rookie season. Yeah, so, you know, even going back, going into my uh, rookie year, um, I had pulled, I did something to my hip before um, even the first game. So even going into the Eagles uh, game, uh, my hip was messed up. And then my my groin uh, had messed up the – had pulled in the Browns game probably because of my hip, and nobody knew about my hip. Um, but I feel like my biggest thing this year is coming into the season um, just 100% healthy, not worried about everything. And, you know, when you're 100% healthy, that it just helps with your uh, mental, um, and it, it just helps you play faster. Just, just knowing, having that confidence, you can do whatever you want on the field. So that's interesting. It turns out that Chase was more injured last season than we knew. So he only missed one game. He missed that 31-17 loss to the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field in week four due to a groin injury that was suffered in the previous game, the 34-20 loss at the Cleveland Browns in week three. But Young revealing on Tuesday that he hurt his hip prior to week one, prior to that 27-17 win over the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. And it was that hip ailment that led to the groin injury. Okay, so what about Chase's 2021 season? Because that's what matters the most right now. What are we going to get from Chase Young, the Predator, in 2021? What kind of growth should we be anticipating from Chase in his second NFL season? Just, uh, I feel like, number one, uh, that's going to come natural, just being more comfortable. Um, just because it's year two, and I've done it, um, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, 
watching watching the film, film when these uh, guys coming up. Um, I've, I've peeped uh, peeped at it already, but uh, you know, I, I'm I'm definitely trying to get my play recognition down way better, and uh, really just all all parts of my game, the run game, um, pass rushing, my hands, uh, my get off, and, and stand low around the edge. So I miss a lot of things in my mind that uh, you know, I'm working out when I step on the field. And what about sacks? People love to fixate on sacks. Sacks are nice. We all love sacks. But sacks can be very overrated. Chase Young last regular season had seven and a half sacks. That's a nice total. But that's nothing special. His impact on Washington's defense was much greater than that sack total suggests. This is exactly what the case was with Nick Bosa in 2019. Bosa in the 2019 regular season had just nine sacks, but his impact went so much beyond that. He played on 75.51% of the 49ers defensive snaps that season, and that Niners defense that season skyrocketed. The Niners in 2019 demonstrated the kind of improvement that Washington's defense demonstrated in 2020. The Niners went from having had a bad defense in 2018 to an excellent defense in 2019, just like Washington went from having a bad defense in 2019 to a very good defense in 2020. The sack total didn't tell the entire story. Whenever I hear or read someone get all worked up about the lack of sacks that Chase Young provided last season, and ooh, is he really that good? He only had seven and a half sacks. I lose instant respect for that person's football knowledge, okay? And I'm talking about people in the local media. These people bring up the sacks, and I'm like, bye-bye, okay? You don't know what you're talking about. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, can we be a little more sophisticated than this, okay? Instead of just looking at the back of the football card, instead of just looking at the guy's profile on ESPN.com and saying, ooh, how many sacks did he have? Eh, you know, I don't think he's that good. No, it's a little more complicated than that. It's a little more nuanced than that. And I know a lot of you listening know this. Ron Rivera on Tuesday on if he wants to see more sacks from Chase Young in 2021. And let me say this, the person who asked this question Washington football team insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times did mention in the question that Chase had a big impact in 2020. So this was not a dummy question. I want to make that clear. But anyway, I loved Ron's response to this question. Here is the response. You know, I'm not sure necessarily if you want to talk about numbers, but you want to talk about impact. You know, um, again, uh, I think a guy with his ability and, and what he's done, his impact uh, is shows, and, and and as does a lot of our guys. I mean, you watch the way we get inside push; those those guys push and may not get the numbers, but they impact the ability of of, of, of Chase and Tez to make plays. And when Chase and Tez are coming off the edge, they may not be making the plays, but hopefully our interior push is making those plays. So, it's a group of guys that are working very well together, and and, and that's the thing that you want to see uh, in terms of growth and development. Because uh, it's a good unit; it really is. I mean, if you really think about it, our, our first four guys are all first rounders. Uh, they're all guys that have their own special abilities and talents, and, and, and hopefully they can continue to grow and develop as a unit. And the very beginning of that response is what I like so much. Ron, Don Ron, saying it's not about numbers, it's about impact. And of course, he's 100% right. And this is coming from me, a man who is big on the numbers. But you've got to be big on the right numbers, not the misleading or flawed numbers. And sacks as a stat that is a flawed stat. It's not a completely meaningless stat. Clearly, you want a lot of sacks, but sacks don't tell the entire story of pass rush, let alone overall defensive play. So ultimately, the presence of Chase Young is about the overall quality 
of Washington's defense. It's not about what Chase Young himself does. It's about what the Washington defense overall does. Massive improvement from 2019 to 2020. Hopefully more improvement in 2021. Hopefully an ascension into being a truly dominant defense in 2021. The final question that Chase Young got asked in a Zoom press conference on Tuesday was if he feels that the defense can be dominant this coming season. You know, I feel like you can, you, you got to have a vision. You know, you got to have uh, something that you wanted to look like. You got to be working towards something. Um, I call it, you know, it's called manifestation. So, I mean, I feel like uh, if you look on paper, we could be the, you know, the top defense in the league. Now we just got to do it. We got to put on the field. And uh, that's just every day working and just holding each other accountable. Yes, sir. Manifestation. Manifest destiny. Suited and booted. As Chase Young said in that video that the Washington football team tweeted out on Monday. Chase Young checking in. Got the jersey on. Suited and booted. Y'all know what time it is. Yes, suited and booted. I am suited and booted. Or is it booted and suited? I'm not sure. Whatever the case, I am excited to watch Chase Young this coming season. Very excited to see the Predator in year number two of his NFL career. Just like I'm excited to tell you about one of the great supporters of the Al Galdi podcast, Dr. George Verghese, who you might say is the Chase Young of area doctors. He's the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. You might say that that is like the Washington defense. Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. Having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery. And the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, some non-Chase Young-related stuff from Tuesday's day one of the Washington football team's mandatory minicamp. There were some guys who weren't there or weren't fully practicing. Receiver Curtis Samuel was not practicing as he's still dealing with a groin injury that we first learned of during OTA practices. Linebacker John Bostic and corner Jimmy Moreland had excused absences on Tuesday. We, on Tuesday's installment of the podcast, talked Taylor Heineke off comments from quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi on Monday on Heineke. Ron Rivera on Tuesday talked Heineke, got asked about Heineke's improvisational skills, which were on display during Tuesday's minicamp practice. It's one of those things, you know, that, that he's a guy that, that, that knows how to make things happen. I mean, he's, he's got the kind of energy that you're looking for. Um, he's, he's got this, this sense about him that, you know, it's probably been hard the whole time for him 
um, trying to prove and show that he can, you know, he can play, that he belongs. And so, you know, he's gotten the opportunity. He's doing a heck of a job with it. But that's just kind of what happens with him. Um, you know, he, he has enough athleticism that he can make things and correct things. And the thing that I also like about what he does, too, is he also knows when not to. You ever watch him? I mean, he, he, he's, he's always trying to make something happen. Um, but when he knows not to, he, he'll tuck it and, and run, or, or, but he won't expose it. And that's, I think, one of his strengths, one of his pluses. And that is a great strength and a great plus. We obviously saw Heineke's improvisational skills on display in the wildcard round loss to the Bucks at FedEx Field in January. The spectacular, unforgettable third quarter, third and five, eight-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. Though beyond that play, of course, got injured, suffered an AC joint separation in his left shoulder. Heineke said last week in a post-OTA practice Zoom press conference that he has added 15 pounds of mass this offseason in order to better avoid injury. Ron on Tuesday on Heineke bulking up. It's um it's something we you know we talked about knowingly with him. Um we just think that, you know, for his style of play, he's gotta be thicker, he's gotta be stronger. Um he took it to heart, did a heck of a job, he really did, and, and he and he looks great coming back in. Um I don't know if it's fifteen pounds of muscles. I want to check his pockets to see what he's putting in when he's one. <laughs> We had heard from Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Kyle Allen over the last two weeks as OTA practices were going on. We, after Tuesday's minicamp practice, heard from Washington's fourth quarterback, Steven Montez, a.k.a. Taysom Montez. Uh, Washington signed Montez as an undrafted free agent out of Colorado in April 2020. The big thing with Steven Montez this offseason has been this potential new role. Washington football team insider Ben Standing of the Athletic D.C., back in March, reported that Washington was interested in potentially using Montez, similar to how the New Orleans Saints have used quarterback Taysom Hill, who has been used by the Saints, right, in creative formations as a passer, a pass catcher, a ball carrier. Montez is athletic, yet the 2020 NFL scouting combine measured as being 6'4", ran a 4.6840. Montez on Tuesday on potentially being utilized in an innovative way by his coaches this coming season. I mean, I, that's kind of that's up to them. That's their call. I'm just trying to be here and uh, and just work hard every day and uh, and just and just give it the give it the best of my abilities with whatever role they decide to give me. And uh, and really, I just want to help the team however I can. When is the last time that Montez played a position other than quarterback? Uh, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. <laughs> let me tell you, but uh, but I mean, I think I think just with the, with the mentality that I have to just come in and soak everything up and work hard, work my butt off. I mean, I think I really can uh, be kind of a utility guy, utility tool. I mean, I'm willing to try everything, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 110 percent at whatever position or or assignment you give me. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my all, and uh, and I'm gonna work my butt off and, and try to execute the technique correctly. Yeah, probably pre high school. Honestly, I mean, I, I started playing football my freshman year of high school, so. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a new experience for me, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it, and uh, I'm open to the challenge for sure. The whole Steven Montez thing really is the ultimate testament to position flex, isn't it? That Ron Rivera is infusing a player with position flex. Like, it's one thing to acquire guys with position flex, acquire guys who can play multiple positions. Here you have Don Ron taking someone who only plays one position, right? He's a quarterback and saying, nah. We are going to make you a man of position flex. We are going to inject you with position flex and turn you into Taysom Hill. That is adhering to the gospel of position flex. Now, isn't it? 
position flex. Yes, Ron. Exactly. Well, I do want an open quarterback competition. I have said this. I want an open, honest, good faith quarterback competition. Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke versus Kyle Allen. May the best man win. Speaking of competition, or at least potential competition, there is a competition at left guard. Eric Flowers versus Wes Schweitzer versus Sadiq Charles, perhaps even with Wes Martin in the mix as well. Ron on Tuesday got asked about the left guard competition. Didn't say much about it, but did talk offensive line. I think that's a very competitive position. I think all of our positions up front are are very competitive. You know, we've got a lot of good depth in there. You know, uh, I really what we like what we've gotten from Chase and um, and Brandon. You know, as, as far as that group is concerned, very solid. Uh, Cornelius Lucas came back in, in great shape, a great mental frame of mind to compete at the right side. Um, you know, Sam Cosme is a guy we drafted who's done a very solid job there. I, I like what we're we're getting from 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 uh, Wes and Eric at the left guard position. I think that's that's outstanding. And then. The left tackle has been, you know, solid with uh, with Charles Leno getting in here and, and getting an opportunity to work. And, you know, we throw Sadiq in there once in a while. I mean, it, it, it's a good mixture of, of young and veteran players that are, that are really developing and, and helping to solidify our offensive line for us. So with the left guard competition and really with the offensive line overall, I think Sadiq Charles is the wild card. What does the Washington football team have in Sadiq Charles? Charles, in his 2020 rookie season, played in one game with one start. He was inactive for each of Washington's first five games due to calf and thigh injuries. He then started at left guard for the 2019 loss at the New York Giants in week six, but he suffered a reported dislocated kneecap on the second offensive snap of the game and was done for the season. That was it. Washington put Charles on the reserve slash injured list last October 24th. This is a guy who was taken with, yes, a fourth round pick. Uh, Washington took Charles with the first of the team's two fourth-round picks in the 2020 NFL Draft. But this is someone who, because he served two suspensions at LSU, fell to the fourth round. If not for the character concerns, Charles may well have been a second or third-round pick. Charles, in 2019, started nine games at left tackle for an LSU offensive line that was named the Joe Moore Award winner for top offensive line in the nation. He, in 2019, protected the blind side for Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback Joe Burrow, who had... I think, and I know a lot of people think this, the greatest season that any player has ever had in college football. So if Sadiq Charles is a go, if Sadiq Charles is healthy and demonstrates the ability to play at a high level at either tackle or guard, like we saw him play at a high level at LSU at left tackle, then you got something here in Sadiq Charles. And he's a big time factor for the Washington offensive line coming up this season. I I know it's basically presumed that Eric Flowers will be the starting left guard, and that may well be the case. But A, Wes Schweitzer did a nice job at left guard last season. And B, Sadiq Charles, again, is the wild card here because there is an upside with Sadiq Charles that you do not have with Eric Flowers, nor do you have with Wes Schweitzer. And I still don't think you can entirely dismiss Sadiq Charles as an offensive tackle. Now, you got Charles Leno Jr., presumably as a left tackle. You got Samuel Cosme versus Cornelius Lucas at the right tackle spot. I don't know that there's room right now for Sadiq Charles, but maybe he makes room. Maybe he forces his way into the conversation at offensive tackle. One more item, and that is training camp in Richmond. The Washington football team last Friday announcing that the team's 2021 training camp will begin in Richmond. Washington will begin training camp on July 27th in Richmond, stay there through July 31st. The rest of Washington's 2021 training camp will take place at the team's headquarters in Ashburn. Ron Rivera on Tuesday on Washington training camp being back in Richmond 
at least partially? Well, the biggest thing, and it kind of fits nicely because we have a, a, an acclimation period that we have to do where we're not going to be in pads the, 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 that first week down there. So we'll go down. We'll check in on Tuesday. We'll have our meetings. We'll have our, um, we'll have our conditioning tests. And then we'll start practice on, uh, on, on Wednesday, uh, you know, which will be a, uh, pretty much a practice just like we've got going. We'll do that for a couple of days, and we'll put the shells on on, on on Friday and Saturday, and we'll finish up Saturday morning. Uh, we'll head back up to here uh, to Ashburn. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up and, uh, and start camp after they have their day off on Sunday. We'll come back in on Monday and get rolling again. Um, but up here, we'll have mostly all of our padded practices. Um, it just kind of works out that way. You know, we, 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 we owed it to, uh, to Richmond to get back down there and, and re-engage with our fan base. Um, you know, and, and, and that's important that they know that they're important to us. Um, but with, you know, we still have some COVID issues that we still got to be aware of. Um, and because of that, it, it probably might've been a little bit hard to try and do, uh, an entire normal training camp there this year and we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, just want to make sure the folks down in Richmond and all our fan base in that area know that we do appreciate their support. Uh, and we hope to get them back. All right, so that was an interesting answer on two levels. A, it sounds like Washington is going to have a lot in the way of padded practices, or at least a decent amount in the way of padded practices once training camp shifts to Ashburn. I have no problem with that. But B, Ron was pretty clear that the decision to do part of training camp in Richmond was at least in part about trying to appeal to fans in Richmond and trying to cultivate the fan base in that part of the state of Virginia. So I think there is an attempt here by the Washington football team with what has happened in recent seasons, right? Dwindling attendance, uh, sagging local television ratings. You want to try to grow the fan base in areas not immediate to the DMV, which I get, you know. Washington has a very unique standing in that, you know, for years, the team was the only NFL team for a wide radius in the Mid-Atlantic region, right? You're talking Washington, D.C., of course, but also Maryland, also Virginia. You had fans in Delaware. You had fans in Pennsylvania. You had fans in North Carolina. You had fans in a lot of different states. And that still is the case. But with what has happened in the DMV, in the immediate D.C. area over the last 20 years, the rise of the Baltimore Ravens, a decent number of fans in the DMV becoming Ravens fans or simply just not being Washington fans because these people aren't necessarily Ravens fans, all of them, but they are just maybe not Washington fans or not that into Washington. Uh, you need to grow the fan base. Yeah, that's important. Washington needs to get some younger fans and this idea of, hey, it doesn't just have to be the immediate DMV area to which we appeal. That does make some sense. So I think there is a business reason behind this, doing the first five days of camp in Richmond. It's not about appeasing the state of Virginia. I've never bought into that. Washington does not need to appease the state of Virginia. It's about trying to grow the fan base here. You know, Ron did not once mention the notion of going away to training camp and building up unity for the team. I'm glad he didn't say that. I, I, I just don't buy into that. I don't know that Ron even buys into that. But that was notable that Ron uh, mentioned that multiple times, the idea of trying to cater to the fans in Richmond, the fan base in that area, as Ron put it. Heck, he flat out said the idea is to get them back, i.e. get those fans back, right? Get the fans back in the Richmond area who Washington may have lost in recent seasons for whatever reason. So yeah, the Washington football team will be beginning 2021 training camp in Richmond, back in the RVA for the first time in two years, and back in the RVA for an eighth time in nine years. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Well, the losing continues for the Nationals. The horrendous offense continues for the Nationals. A 3-1 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night in Game 1 of a two-game series. Nats lost their third consecutive game, lost for the ninth time in 12 games, fell to 24-33 and on the season. It was another putrid offensive performance. This is like a broken record. It feels like the same conversation is had after every Nationals game. I get that, but I don't know what else we're supposed to do here. The offense is wretched. The Nationals on Tuesday night, one run on just six hits, which were a double and five singles. Nats did work four walks, which isn't a halfway bad total, but the Nats struck out 14 times. The Nats again got completely silenced by a quality starting pitcher. The Rays starter was Tyler Glass now. He's been excellent so far this year. Came into the game with an ERA plus of 141 on the season over 12 starts. ERA plus is ERA that's adjusted for your ballpark and league average. 100 is average. So 141 means that Tyler Glass now came into the game having been 41% better than the league average. That's how good he'd been. So yeah, facing him was a tall task. But you know what? The Nats in the past have done well against good starting pitchers. We certainly saw that in the 2019 postseason. And this year, whether it's Jacob deGrom or Brandon Woodruff or now Tyler Glass now, the Nationals get humbled big time by high-level starting pitching, and this happened again on Tuesday night. Glass now one run in seven innings 
with 11 strikeouts. As yes, the Nats got humbled, Sheiky baby, by Tyler Glass now. Make him humble. You see, even the Iron Sheik recognizes what happens when the Nationals face high-level starting pitching this season. Now, the Nats actually went 2-6 with runners in scoring position in the game, but it felt much worse. The 2-for-6 with runners in scoring position doesn't tell the story of what happened in this game, and if you watch the game, you know of what I speak. Juan Soto came up small in a big spot on Tuesday night. Runners on first and second, one out. He grounds into a first-pitch 4-6-3 double play for the second and third outs in what ended up being a mere one-run Nationals third inning. I have said this. I will continue to say this. The Nationals lead the planet in innings that are supposed to be big innings, but end up being modest innings. You know, an inning that is set up to be a three, four, five, six run inning ends up only being a one run inning. The Nationals had another one of these on Tuesday night in the top of the third. How about what happened in the top of the eighth? Now, Glasnow was out of the game at this point, but this was the low point of the game in terms of the Nats' offensive fail. The Nationals failed to score a run in the top of the eighth, despite having the bases loaded, one out, and the team's numbers four and five batters coming up. Ryan Zimmerman, the cleanup batter. Josh Bell, the number five batter. I mean, this is what you want. Bases juiced, one out, you're into a team's bullpen. Two of your best hitters, in theory, are coming up. And Zimmerman and Bell, your number four and number five batters. And what do those guys end up doing? Striking out on a combined seven pitches. Zimmerman struck out on three pitches. Bell struck out on four pitches. Offensive fail again for the Nationals. Davey Martinez is trying everything with his lineup. Davey had Kyle Schwarber as the leadoff batter on Tuesday night. Every lineup is different this season for the Nats. Like I said, Davey is trying everything and nothing is working. To be fair, Davey doesn't stick with anything for more than a game or two. I mean, he just, he's constantly shuffling the lineup. Uh, Schwarber, who had been better lately, has gone back to struggling here over these last few games. I don't know if this is the right knee acting up or what. Remember, he injured the right knee in a 5-1 loss at the Atlanta Braves last Thursday afternoon. Schwarber in the National Series loss at the Philadelphia Phillies over the weekend, 0-12 for with a walk and four strikeouts. Schwarber on Tuesday night, 0-3 for with a walk and two strikeouts. He had a one-out, eight-pitch walk in that Nats one-run third. He also did make a very nice defensive play. Terrific backhanded catch over the short wall in foul territory near the left field pole for the third out and the Rays two-run fifth. But 0 for 3 with a walk in two Ks, not going to get it done for your number one batter. And like I said, Schwarber lately has not been very good at all. I mentioned Soto and him coming up small with runners on first and second, one out in the Nats one-run third. He also had a defensive miscue. Uh, Soto missed playing Mike Brasso's RBI double in the race two-run fifth as the ball bounced over Soto. Now, Soto, as a number three batter, did have a hit and a walk. That is true. He had a two-out single in the top of the first, a one-out six-pitch walk in the top of the eighth, despite having been down in the count at one point, one-two. But some bad moments for Soto on Tuesday night. Ryan Zimmerman had a bad game. He was an Nats cleanup batter, as mentioned. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He left four men on base, although he, too, had a nice defensive play in the game. A key defensive play. Bottom of the fourth, a really nice diving stab into foul territory on what ended up being a two-out single by Manuel Margot down the first baseline. Uh, that prevented a run from scoring in what ended up being a scoreless bottom of the fourth for the Rays. So really good key play by Zimmerman. Even though it didn't lead immediately to an out, it prevented a run from scoring. The Rays ended up not scoring 
in that inning. But yeah, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts, leaving four men on base. Not good. Not what you're supposed to get from your cleanup batter. Josh Bell had a double on Tuesday night. That was good, but he struck out twice. He left three men on base. We outlined what he did in striking out with the bases loaded in two outs in the top of the eighth. And Bell got thrown out at home on Tuesday night. He has the leadoff double in the top of the seventh, but he gets thrown out at home and trying to score on Josh Harrison's one-out single on an ultra-aggressive send by Bob Sendley-Henley, the third base coach. Look, I get you're trying to manufacture a run. You can't score to save your life right now if you're the Nats, but Josh Bell is not exactly the guy you want to necessarily be doing this with. Uh, He is a bigger player. He is a more lumbering player. The play was relatively close. Davey Martinez did challenge the play, but uh, that was a tough call in terms of counting on Josh Bell being safe and uh, you know, we'll never know for sure whether he was safe or out. So in that regard, you can say, well, it was close. What do you want? But Josh Bell, I mean, it was almost certainly going to be at least close. He ended up being ruled out initially, and there was not enough in the replay review to overturn what went on. Uh, you can always email me, the Algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Jerry Moore wrote me late Tuesday night. Nice at bat again for Bell in the eighth with the game on the line. Bases loaded and Bell strikes out again. Totally worthless pickup from the worst team in baseball, the Pirates, of course. Even the lowly Pirates didn't want him. Bad trade by Rizzo. Well, Jerry, the Nats didn't give up much for Josh Bell, but so far, it has not worked out. Nobody can argue that. Uh, The Nats scored their lone run on a Trey Turner RBI single, a one-out ribby single, and the Nats one run third. Trey also had a one-out seven-pitch walk in the top of the eighth, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. And Jan Gomes was back on Tuesday night. That was good. Uh, Gomes missed all three games in the Nats series loss at the Phillies over the weekend due to right hamstring tightness. Gomes was out there, starting catcher, number seven batter, had a two-out single in the top of the fourth despite having been down to the count at 1.12. And Gomes threw out another runner trying to steal. Gomes gunning down Joey Wendell on an attempted steal of second base for the second out in the bottom of the second. Jan Gomes continues to be superb this season when it comes to throwing out runners trying to steal. He now is 12 for 27 on runners trying to steal this season. Just a great job by Jan Gomes and getting so much better in a department in which the Nats had struggled for years. Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was John Lester. One run in three and two-thirds innings. Uh, This was kind of a typical John Lester outing for where he's at in his career. He did his John Lester thing of putting a number of guys on base, but minimizing the damage. So you like that, right? One run in three and two-thirds innings. But of course, the problem is three and two-thirds innings. Like a starting pitcher is not supposed to last for just three and two-thirds innings, but he only went for three and two-thirds innings because of his pitch count. John Lester on Tuesday night threw 91 pitches over three and two-thirds innings. 91 pitches over three and two-thirds innings, and he wasn't exactly pounding the strike zone. 52 strikes versus 39 balls. He only gave up four hits, a homer, which was a leadoff homer by Manuel Margot in the bottom of the first, also gave up three singles, but Lester gave up four walks. That's really what the problem was, and he ends up having the super high pitch count over just three and two-thirds innings. And so the Nats off an off day on which the relievers can rest up have to use five relievers on Tuesday night. So like you're back into bullpen debt now already with a four-game series coming up after this two-game series at the Rays. Nats have a four-game series against the San Francisco Giants coming up 
Thursday through Sunday. But Davey Martinez on Tuesday night in this 3-1 loss at Tampa Bay had to use five relievers. Those five relievers combined to allow two runs in four and a third innings. Wander Suero was charged with two runs, recorded just one out. Now, the one out that he got was big. He came into the game bottom of the fourth with the bases loaded and two outs and got Yandy Diaz on a full count flyout for the third out. But Suero began what ended up being a two-run raise fifth with back-to-back walks, then gave up an RBI double to Mike Brasso on a 1-2 pitch on the ball that bounced over Juan Soto. Then Sam Clay came into the game. He faced four batters and that raised two-run fifth, sandwiched two strikeouts around a one-out RBI single by Mike Zanino and a one-out full-count walk at Taylor Walls, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. Ryan Harper then came into the game. He got Manuel Margot to fly out to end that raised two-run fifth. Ended up doing a good job. Tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Paolo Espino tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth that included strikeouts of the Rays' number one batter, Margot, and the Rays' number three batter, Austin Meadows. So there was some good stuff from the bullpen on Tuesday night. But again, you had to use five relievers. That's the problem. Four and a third innings ended up having to be covered by the Nationals' bullpen. No Nat starting pitcher beyond Max Scherzer this season is eating up innings. The bullpen is being leaned on way too much, and the bullpen can only do so much, and we have seen cracks in the bullpen now for weeks. The bullpen is giving up runs basically in every game, you know? Every game, you go back and look at it. Game in, game out, Nationals relievers allow at least a run in the game, if not more. Why? Because the bullpen is being used way too much. It's not supposed to work this way, and yet it is, and the Nats now are down a reliever. Austin Voth was officially placed on the 10-day injured list on Tuesday due to the fractured nose that he suffered in the 12-6 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday afternoon. Remember, in that game, Voth hit on his batting helmet and face by a pitch from the Phillies starter, Vince Velasquez, in attempting to bunt. Uh, Davey Martinez, by the way, in his pregame Zoom press conference on Tuesday, saying that Voth suffered, quote, a couple breaks, end quote, in his nose, and that his left eye remained swollen shut. Corresponding roster move to the Nats putting both on the 10-day IL was recalling Ryan Harper from AAA Rochester. Game two at the Rays Wednesday night at 7-10. Patrick Corbin versus Rays lefty Shane McClanahan. Old Corby, uh, the Nats could use him to wake up and start pitching well. Six-year, $140 million contract. He has an ERA of 628 over 11 starts this season. He, over his last four starts, has allowed 15 runs in 21 innings on 29 hits and eight walks. Not good. Well, perhaps the Nationals should take batting tips from the Orioles. The Orioles cannot be stopped offensively right now. 28 runs over the team's last two games. Sunday afternoon, an 18-5 win over the Cleveland Indians at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Tuesday night, a 10-3 win over the New York Mets at Camden Yards in game one of a two-game series. The O's won for the fifth time in six games, this off having lost 21 of the team's previous 23 games. O's still do have the worst record in the American League at 22-38, and but they on Tuesday night, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles, again, in the win column! That's right, Joe Angel. Cedric Mullins, another big game for the Orioles. What a freaking season this guy is having. Starting center fielder, number one batter, two doubles and a walk on Tuesday night. He had a one-out RBI double in the Orioles' three-run second, a leadoff double in the Orioles' one-run fourth, and a two-out eight-pitch walk in the bottom of the seventh 
despite having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. Boy, is Mullins blossoming this year. His batting average is up to 325. His on-base percentage is up to 394. His slugging percentage now is at 541. What was so interesting, though, about the Orioles' offensive eruption on Tuesday night is that the team scored 10 runs largely on the backs of the bottom half of the lineup. The Orioles' numbers five through eight batters, talking about Freddie Galvis, Pedro Severino, Michael Franco, and Pat Valeka, combined for nine hits, a walk, six RBI, and seven runs. A number of Orioles contributed to the 10 runs on Tuesday night, but that really stood out to me. Galvis, Severino, Franco, and Valeka doing as those guys ended up doing. But here is maybe the most encouraging thing from this game. Bruce Zimmerman. The Orioles starting pitching has been a lot better lately. If you're an O's fan and you watch these games, or at the very least you follow the team, you know this. Even as that 14-game losing streak was going on, the starting pitching actually wasn't that bad in the latter stages of that losing streak. And Bruce Zimmerman has been leading the way in terms of the improvement in the Orioles starting pitching lately. Bruce Zimmerman on Tuesday night was good for a fourth time in five outings. He allowed two runs in five innings on seven strikeouts versus just two hits, a homer and a single, and two walks on 90 pitches, 57 strikes versus 33 balls. Zimmerman gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Pete Alonso in the top of the first, then issued a two-out walk at Dominic Smith, but Zimmerman then retired 13 of the final 14 batters he faced. He was not in a good way for a while this year. But like I said, four of his last five outings, he's been quite good. Zimmerman in the Orioles 7-4 win over the Minnesota Twins at Camden Yards now two Tuesday nights ago to snap the Orioles 14-game losing streak, two runs in five and a third innings on seven strikeouts. Zimmerman in the Orioles 5-1 loss at the Chicago White Sox on May 27th, one run in five innings, six strikeouts. Zimmerman did struggle in that Orioles 12-9 loss at the Nationals on May 22nd, five runs in three innings. But Zimmerman in a 10-6 win over the New York Yankees at Camden Yards on May 16th relieved the Orioles opener for that game, Adam Pletko. And Zimmerman came into the game and was really good. One run in five and two-thirds innings, six strikeouts. That was the start of this rise of Bruce Zimmerman. He came into that game with an ERA of 540 over six starts on the season. He's been a lot better lately. Really good to see that. And this is what we've been talking about, right? How are the potential building blocks doing? Bruce Zimmerman is a potential building block, a guy who the O's got from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade that sent Kevin Gaussman and Darren O'Day to the Braves. This season is just Zimmerman's age 26 season. Like I keep preaching with the O's, pain now, pleasure later, although lately we've had pleasure. Uh, It's been nice to see, but it's not about the wins and losses, as I've been saying. Game two against the Mets at Camden Yards, Wednesday night at 7.05. The former Met, Matt Harvey versus Taiwan Walker. Let's hope that this outing goes a bit better for Harvey than his first outing against the Mets this season. May 12th, a 7-1 Orioles loss at the Mets. Harvey, the former Dark Knight of Gotham, seven runs in four and a third innings in that game. All right, that will do it for you and me, but just for now, we'll be back together soon. Uh, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast 
at yahoo.com. Wednesday is day two of the Washington football team's mandatory minicamp. A full report on Thursday's installment of the podcast, as well as thoughts on whatever goes down on Wednesday night for the Nationals in their game two at the Tampa Bay Rays and for the Orioles in their game two against the New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll talk to you on Thursday. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.